Well, hello there. My name is Cynthia King, and this is the fifth episode of season two of the Belong Podcast, coming to you fresh from my podcast room as I peer out the window into the damp, cold air. You know, the kind that cuts through to the bone, unlike the dry cold you find in the prairies. Well, this week for me has been an active and focused one. I've had a chance to reconnect with some friends, enjoy a dinner at a restaurant, and of course, take advantage of PEI's great cross-country skiing and fat biking. And this week, I got to connect with my good buddy, Sebastian Monago. And we had a great chat about what it means to find your home. So who knew, though, that a kid from the German Black Forest would find his forever home here in Prince Edward Island, Canada? But he did. And here is his story. Well, 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 don't I have a very special guest here with me today. It is the one and only, I say that a lot about people, but it's always true. You are the one and only Sebastian Monago, and I'm so happy that you've agreed to come and chat about your your experiences um, being here on Prince Edward Island. So welcome. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I've heard a few casts, not all of them, but uh, I was very, not all all of them, but I was very, very honored to be, uh, to be selected and asked by you to be, uh, to be on the podcast. I really think you have a cool story and everyone does like a good story. And, um, you know, people who may not know that you do, um, that you've been on PEI for a very long time, and it goes back quite far with you, your initial kind of spark to to come here. Can you tell us how that all started? How did it begin? It began in the early 80s. Uh, so you have to sort of transport yourself back to the early 80s, uh, big hair and uh, all of those things. And uh, I was a teenager. I was actually, before being a teenager, um, I was already thinking about uh, westward Canada. Um, And the reason for that is you sort of have to put yourself into the mindset of a person growing up in Germany. At the time, it was the height of the Cold War. Germany was divided into two parts, and um, either side was pointing mid-range nuclear missiles at each other. And um, that sort of created a um, an atmosphere where, where people sort of said, well, maybe we don't want to repeat what happened 40 years ago. Um, maybe there are new worlds that we want to discover, especially for a young person that's super interesting. And... Um, also, sort of this the sentiment of like you you come from a very structured society and you come into a continent where there's a lot of individual freedoms and possibilities, and that was very very interesting to me uh, as a teenager, and um, it was also very interesting to my grandfather who, sort of at the time said, you know what, our family needs a something over there now just in case, so he encouraged me. And my grandfather went through the through the Second World War. He, he you know, fought, fought on the German side, and uh, and of course had the experience of of the loss of territory and 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 see the terrible consequences of war. So he was very encouraging of saying, you know, if you like to go to Canada, just go and look around. So to make a long story short, um, as soon as I was able to have a driver's license. Um, 
I was sponsored by my mother and my grandfather to go to Canada and just have a look around. We also had um, the opportunity to to have an exchange with a family in Toronto. <laughs> look around. Like, okay, we're we're sending you to Canada because we need information. <laughs> covert, covert. Uh, yeah. op- um, exactly. But it, it it was sort of a for for us it was thrilling. I went with my brother. Uh, we rented a car in Toronto and drove from Toronto through Quebec toward New Brunswick, through New Brunswick, Nova Scotia. And then there was that one moment we were coming back from Halifax, and um, we were driving across. We, we we took the I don't know which trail that was at the time in Nova Scotia and, and on the other side of the Northumberland Strait, and we were at a beach there, and and we were looking across, and I didn't know there was an island on the other side and all we saw was blinking lights. And I said to my brother, that's Morse code. And I, you know, let's, let's try to read the Morse code. And it was just all the same, <laughs> the same letter all the time. So it's like, no, that's a lighthouse. <clears throat> and, um, and then we sort of looked on the map and said, well, there's an island. Let's just drop. Let, let's explore this island. And, you know, there, you know, there are a few moments that define your life. And that was one of them. Uh, we took the ferry. There was the Abbey back then, the Abbey too, mm-hmm. and um, and very much like the um, the, uh, the, the that picture from the famous Canadian painter. I forget his name. Um, Alex, Alex Colville. Colville. Colville uh, yeah. You know, looking out to toward PEI, and and there came up the shore. There were the red sands, and we drove onto the island, and it the feel of driving on PEI and, and and taking in the scenery was so familiar to us from a mixture of black forest scenery, uh, even Tuscany, you know, the primary colors of PEI, the red, the blue skies, the water. I mean, that, that's what every strikes everybody. So it was that a really defining moment. Yeah. And we drove into Charlottetown and there was a real estate agent called Stanley Mall, and uh, yeah. a lot of people yeah. probably remember him. And he happened to be from Holland. And we stopped in, and we said, "We, we want to buy land." <laughs> Just like and, that. And we were two punks. We were st- still not in our twenties. Uh, we hadn't showered for but for a couple of weeks because we were sleeping in a van. And yes. um, and uh, he spoke in German to us. And he took us serious um, to his credit. So uh, we we sort of identified two routes to take on PEI. One was in the center um, between Brackley Beach and Charlottetown. And the other one was in eastern PEI. We, we sort of said, we don't have time for western PEI. It's too far away. Well, you came across on the ferry. So which ferry? Oh, you came across North Elements, like the. No, we came across Borden, but we drove right. Into, we yeah. drove right into Charlottetown. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And uh, and uh, so we took the first trip, you know, between Brackley Beach and, and Charlottetown. There just was very small properties, and it didn't really correspond to what my dream about land on on in Canada was. And the second trip what was. was your- what was your dream when you oh your mind? well first of all you coming from Germany you you don't want just to have a backyard you you want to have a like a, a few dozen acres 
you want a dom- you want a domain you want a domain you want to like it's totally. immediately uh transported to um to aristocracy at that point yeah. um so we came across the second day we we went the eastern tour we came across the beautiful rolling hills of bellevue and grandview um and uh there was that one property in Mount Vernon and it was, it had a Southern exposure. It was fully grown with forest. We, we couldn't afford shoreland at that point anyway. Um, and we couldn't afford farmland. Um, we, we were just able to buy some forest and it was a beautiful forest. Uh, we climbed on the trees and saw that it had a beautiful view onto Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. And we sort of looked at each other and says, Let's call mom. <laughs> I was just about to ask you, how in the hell do two teenage, dirty, scummy little German kids end up being able to afford buying land just like that? But okay, you called mom. We called mom. She was a guardian of a bit of money that I had that was earmarked for me when my father passed away. He had a life insurance and we, we, we were in possession of a bit of money. And, uh, but mom was, you know, we needed to talk to mom to get access to that money. And, um, she, uh, she said to her great credit, she says, of course, let's go. And that's, she did send you like, she did send you on a mission. So, well, she, she more reluctantly than my grandfather, who was a bit sort of more entrepreneurial, but mm-hmm. she agreed to it, and um, ah. and uh, and in later years she ma- massively enjoyed coming to PEI and spending time here. Yes, to the very yes. very last day, you met her, I and, did. and she really really enjoyed her days on PEI. She, she always said it reminded her of her childhood, and there's something ah. about a PEI that reminds everyone of their own childhood, no matter where they come from. That's quite curious oh. too. <laughs> it is curious and there's something about that because of all of the different people I've met over the years especially my customers with my cycling tour business is they all they all say the exact same thing. Yeah. Like it 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 brings them it's it's not just about nostalgia it makes them feel like it, it's feelings of childhood that really resonate with people when they first step foot on this land yeah and on pei everyone is focused on living not so much on working i mean there's great hard-working people but the living the family aspect um the human side of interaction with each other is so much more important to people here and i think that comes through mm, and yes. back at the time too um uh, we had some great i have to talk about my neighbors here uh specifically Billy Martin, a very close neighbor, became a very good friend. And that experience of having someone who would just, when you needed help, he would just drop everything and come to help you. And when later on I came here on my own and built the house, um, uh, people would lend me a hand, would show me how to build things. Um, Basically, they were enablers of my independence. And yeah. that was That's a uh, great way of putting it. Actually, yeah. yeah. And they they made me realize I can do things on my own. In Germany, you can't touch a thing unless you have a red seal. This red seal that. And we we're getting a little bit into this now, but back then in the eighties, you could just pick up a piece of wood and build your own house, and no one would ask yeah. too many questions. 
No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So and you did you did learn by doing it at yeah, that time in your life. Yeah. And that was really important to me. I was not a very good student in Germany. I suffered from a system in a system that always told me what to do and I wasn't able to express myself properly. And it was this experience that sort of enabled me to say, I can do stuff. I can do it on myself and I can do it quite well. And maybe I make mistakes, but they're my mistakes in my own house and and I'll yeah. I'll live with it. I'll 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 take that. And um yeah. sort of my neighbors Barry Beck from Montague, another person who would sort of help me figure things out. And then Billy, who, you know, when I was hungry, he would go down there and, and, and try to be good company and they would feed me. And it was just that kind of neighborly experience, yeah. which was another special ingredient to the PEI soup. <laughs> Ooh, the soup. Well, your soup is more rural, um, which does definitely lend itself to, I think, um, a, a different level of rich experience uh, on Prince Edward Island. Uh, neighbors are important. And where I live, for instance, I do know some of my neighbors. And we definitely wave and we have conversations. We don't necessarily hang out or depend on each other, though. And it's even and, changed here. But in, yeah, it's even changed yeah. here on, oh, in, in rural yeah. PEI. It's not the same anymore. It's yeah. different. It's more diverse. Uh, of course... The other side of 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 that is there were people who just didn't want to deal with me because I was not speaking English properly and I I was not from here and I expressed myself I differently. Think, isn't that still true? No, just kidding. <laughs> your English your English is great. <laughs> Everyone judge for themselves. Yes. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> but um yeah, no, I, I mean there was definitely also negative experiences, but it it didn't tarnish any of the of the good ones, and it didn't take any mm. of uh, anything away from the good ones. Yeah. So then you made this purchase. Um, later, you realize about you know community and neighbors and whatnot. But there was a period of in between where you did go away to school and got past your early twenties. When was it that you then decided to come back and build? Yeah, so there was a long period of, you know, I had to earn a living um and I had to uh, I had to become active and 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 get going in my in in my career. So I had to I went back to Europe. I did my finished my studies there. Um I started working in big cities. Um I worked in in Paris, in New York, in Barcelona, in 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 Toronto. And uh but when you, again, you live in these big cities and you always have that little voice in the back of your head that says, but you have a piece on PEI, which is basically paradise. And why are you, what's, why are you doing this? And why are you doing this for the long run? Like there must be more to it than just having a career paying for your apartment right. in, in your city. Uh, at best have a house in the Hamptons in, in, in New York and, and invite all your friends and be like everybody else. So I was right. looking that that sort of spirit of PEI sort of never left me alone for too long. I came here regularly in the summers 
Um, and I was reminded of how good the quality of life was here compared to the places I lived because I was just mm-hmm. starting off in my career. I had a very small apartment. Um, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't living, living large in those cities, uh, but I was able to live large when I was here. So I said, well, there's something wrong with that equation. And then in, in, in corporate life, you get bounced around quite a bit. So you, you, a company you work for, uh, you know, closes their division. You have to go to another city. Um, you get into a disagreement with the boss. You have to change companies. And so, so at, at some point, I mean, there's very few people that are lucky enough not to be spit out by the corporate world. But, you know, eventually I sort of said, I have enough. And what do I do next? And I completely abandoned my career and um, moved to PEI without any job or any other plans than just coming here. Amazing. And that I was think that's, that's actually when we, and I think that's pretty much around the time we met, give or yeah. take a year or two. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I remember <clears throat> those days. Um, <laughs> I think I was kind of in this in a similar situation at that time of my life where uh, just trying to figure out how I wanted to be spending my time. But um, we coincidentally then met at what was then known as the Queen Street Commons. Yeah, and it even had a theme song, the Queen Street Commons. We did. We did. <laughs> da, 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 da. There you go. Um, but you were the very first member of the Queen Street Commons, which was a co-shared workspace, the first of its yep. kind actually in Canada. Um, it's since morphed into other things, and there are other uh, co-workplaces now in Charlottetown. But, no, it's a common thing, yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, but when we met, you were helping with a company um, and involved in a company and involved with sales and that kind of thing and mark more or marketing. And, but what I remember upon my first impressions is, was that you were actually like a kid <laughs> and you, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like you, it wasn't like, Oh, he's immature. It was that you were very childlike and that you did love being on Prince Edward Island. It, and it, it was just so refreshing. I mean, I'm from away too, but I had been there for and lived here for many years before I met you. And then it's like meeting somebody who's just kind of all fresh. <laughs> yeah, lots yeah. Of f- full of illusions and, and, and ideas of how things should work and how things can be done. And, uh, I tried a lot of things on my own, uh, in partnerships. Um, uh, what's, what's, was really, uh, interesting during those first years was that you have, you're no longer a manager or you're no longer in publishing or in advertising. You're just a, a dude from somewhere else and no one knows you. No one knows what you can do. You have to start completely all over again. Because no one really knows, like, okay, I've worked in publishing. What, you know, there's no one has a point of reference here. Um, yeah. If you say you 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 have a PhD, then you can work for NRC, and it's very defined jobs. But that wasn't the case. I sort of had to create a new profile for me, which was yeah. not easy. 
And um, of course, you're also dealing with the, the the reality on PEI that it's very patronage driven. If no one knows you, and but they have a they have a cousin somewhere who can do who has half the qualifications, they're going to hire them first. And uh, that's mm-hmm. just a reality on PEI. You know, I'm not going to hide. But um, so it's very hard. The, these first years were very hard. Also, um, we came we came two people we were i was married at the time the marriage didn't survive that move so it was it was a time of a lot of rethinking and a lot of redoing things uh, but here i was in the plan in the in the land of my dreams and that was just a reality and um, eventually you make the connections we made a great connection I made a great connection with uh, at some point with a neighbor here who referred me to UPEI, who then referred me to the Tourism Research Center. That's how I got into the tourism industry, and then I eventually worked for the government. And so, you know, eventually you make your connections. It just takes a little time. And I tell that to every immigrant who comes here. It says it can be very discouraging in the beginning, but eventually you get to know people and. Uh, you, you remember, you you really did. You didn't run away. Like you stuck it out and you persevered. And I do remember those times that this, the struggles. And as you said, it's just so difficult to feel like you should be here and feel like you belong, but you knew in your heart that you did and you just stayed and you just pushed through and, and you did the right thing, obviously. Well, there's one there is one thing that sort of runs as a theme through this all is the relationship with the land. Um, I developed, I talked a lot about Islanders, but there is the land, the land of PEI and the farm I own. um, Mm. That is absolutely for me, the most beautiful time, the most beautiful place on the planet, including all the mosquitoes and black flies that come with it. <laughs> um, but it it is a very special land. And they, it, the land literally said, you are here, you stay here, I need you, you need me. And um, that it, I can't really describe it any other way, that, that there is this connection with the land, with the forest, with the with the streams on it. Um, it's a beautiful piece of land. Uh, it's a rolling hills, half forest, half fields. Um, and now it's the place of my business. So I was always, and, and that brought me, that land brought me to the, the new activity I was doing now. And it's basically, I have, I'm passionate about the industry of feeding people in a sustainable way. And the current inability to feed people in a sustainable way, and something must change. I'm working very hard with people to trying to change that. Uh, mm. But if you cannot earn a living on a farm, and this goes for farmers, and not just for farmers, for for all kinds of business models, if you cannot protect the earth in your business model. You're constantly uh, running a deficit on the land side, and eventually you degrade your environment to such a point that the, the collapse happens very quickly, like the cod industry in Newfoundland, where the the year before the total collapse of the cod uh, of the cod industry was the best fishing year ever. 
Well, of course. Yeah. So, so <laughs> it doesn't happen gradually. It you you think no. you're in a good way, and then you have a total collapse. And yeah. I mean, the, the, I work. I'm doing work now with the Organic Farmer Cooperative and PEI, and the, the common theme is we've degraded the soils to a point where you need to reinvest in soils. So, you need to get enough money from your marketing activity and your sales activity to pay for your for your activity, not lose money, and at the same time build the soils back up to where they should be. So that sort of yeah. that whole theme really fascinated me um, because I'm linked to this soil. I mean, when I went out to study, uh, I never thought I would work in the food industry. Um, but because I lived on PEI, it's a big industry here and it's an important industry uh, to follow because of, of this situation that we're in. Well, and uh, the fact that you had such an interesting uh, piece of land uh, and, you know, a relatively large piece of land uh, out in Vernon, um, you're able then to dream of what that could be and how that would fit into that idea. And uh, you've had all kinds of ideas and, 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 and lots and, of lots of ideas that went all terribly wrong. Yeah, but <laughs> well, to, but it's part of figuring things out. Is, yeah, that's right. It's not that they went terribly wrong. It's just that wasn't the idea. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, but now you've got an idea, and it's turned into something really successful. Um, so it's like. Uh, it's like a reward for that connection in a way, because you're able to um, produce a really good cider um, that is completely unique to anyone else uh, in the area and put your own stamp on it. Uh, and, and still, and, and, and you're that guy now that goes to his farm every day and uh, tends to, tends to things. And I think, I think it's like a full circle for you because I remember when you first showed me your land many years ago, I have this vision of you standing. I think I might've even taken a picture of it. I thought it was so impressive, but you're standing on some perch on your land with your arms crossed in front of you. You had on some interesting European pleated jacket or something. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, what a you're cliche. standing there. <laughs> I know it's, it is so cliche, but it was just exactly what happened. And then you're standing there looking out over your domain. <laughs> and I remember teasing you about it, but catching that image of seeing you and watching you make a connection to where you are. And I think it's amazing that you've been able to, to come around to where you're now using your land in a way that provides and is respectful and is sustainable and good on you. Yeah, and that that was important to me. And it, it was really the land that told me what to do um, before I how, had these. How? how? Because um, uh, the land was full. Like it, it was first we did a little cattle farming, which I'm superbly not fit for, and um, it, right. it was a spectacular. Oh, wait, wait, I'm going to. I'm going to interrupt because there was cow therapy. There was cow therapy. Uh, and for those listening, if they don't know what cow therapy is, it's a real thing. But Sebastian 
made it up one time and said, you should come to my farm. We have cow therapy. And so I'm like, okay, I'll try it, even though I'd probably be deathly allergic. <laughs> and like some 20 years later, I read in some article lately that cow therapy is a thing. Well, basically, and you're just supposed to like, like lay with the cows. Like what the hell? Well, ruminants it? are very peaceful. Like cows don't have to fear a lot from predators, you know, when they're in a field, especially domesticated cows. So they're super peaceful and they don't think much. They don't, they tend to not overthink anything. So that is infectious. So you sit amongst cows and all you, you don't think about anything. It's like basically meditation. Um, And they help you uh, empty your brain. And that's cow therapy. And I and actually, it's a, it, I, I found it very true. Um, and we sort of called it cow therapy jokingly. And then now it's a thing. And forest bathing <laughs> is a thing too. And I've been doing that I for know. decades. So yeah, that's... It, uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's why I ride my bike in the forest. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Med- meditation. So yeah, like, the cows didn't last did. long. Unfortunately, even though right. even though they were very good therapeutic animals, they 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 were not good for my wallet. And um no. so uh <laughs> we shipped out the cows uh to another farm that took good care of them. And um and it was really the farm then I lay it I let it just be for uh, one or two years. Um I didn't invite any other farmers on it. And what happens is that in the hedgerows, there is lots of wild apples or even old seedling apples that the the old farmers may have put there. Um, They were just growing in the hedgerows. And the the hedgerows are still very much alive on that farm and producing really interesting apples. And not only that, they were seeding themselves out into the field. You could see the apples growing in the woods, in in, in clearings, on the edges of the forest. In the middle of the field, there's apples coming up everywhere. So I said, well, this land wants to grow apples. Um, there you go. And they at the same tell you. Yes. And I had, through my studies in France, I had learned how good cider was in France. And he became very passionate about cider in France. I love drinking it. It's a beautiful product. You think it's a little barnyardy, but I love that. Well, some of it. <laughs> You, there was there was one that was a bit farmy. Yeah. I, I I don't want to smell cow shit when I'm drinking cider. Well, yeah. Well, then we'll we're gonna take this discussion offline. But it, I love yeah. I love the French cider, even when it's yeah, a little funky. Just, and and yeah, it, I like it, it when it's less. Yeah. And it's it ranges. It has great range um, from you know very dry to to even sweet cider, um, which is not made in other countries. Like uh, it's the Spanish cider is very very dry. The English cider is sort of semi dry. And um, uh, so the, I, I just fell in love with the French ciders and all the different styles. And I said we must be able to do this on PEI. Um, we have apples growing everywhere. So I, 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 I went, I wrote to 50 different cider makers in France proposing <laughs> naively that they would just share their secrets with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there was one person who answered and he happens to be one of the most innovative cider makers in France he just uh, he's leading a group to, de- to declare a new DOC 
in France, like the denomination d'origine contrôlée, and which means it's you know there's there's a there's a certain standard set to that side of that region, the Perche region region. Like VQA kind yeah, of. Yeah, like a VQA, and um, yeah. and he was very interested in working together. We talked to each other on Skype. Uh, we, I visited the farm. Uh, we we made a little pact that uh, he would help me build a cidery here, and uh, I would learn from him how to do things very, very in the very, very traditional French way, which is not you cannot apply a hundred percent to Canada. Um, but you can get close, and um, and so we started. We, I, you know, in, in ni- two thousand eighteen, we harvested our first apples, all from our own hedgerows and and uh, from some neighboring properties, and we produced our first three thousand liters, and they were. The cider turned out. The first year turned out very, very good. I was very happy with it. Um, and we just went to the second year. We we went to twelve thousand liters, and 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 now we're we're looking at to double that again. So wow. um, there's quite a demand. That we launched a cider called the Nomad Cider, and it, it it is it is made from wild apples because the wild apples are the closest in tannic structure to the cider apples, um, and we don't. We, we try to not work too much with uh, dessert apples, which is like if you're a wine drinker, try to imagine making wine from the dessert grapes that you eat. They're not the same. Mm, so yeah. it's very same with apples. Um, and so, yeah, so now the the land is a cidery. There's the still a big part of the land that is being farmed by an organic farmer um, who lives close by. So it's... Um, and the forest, uh, I, I, I still hope that at some point the forest is valued for its function as a uh, CO2 uh, equivalent uh, tr- um, cap- uh, sink, carbon mm-hmm. sink. So th- all of these, there's a lot, still a lot of projects, projects that I have to do something and, 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 and do something with that land that is, mm-hmm. that helps the land stay the land. Yeah. Well, so if you were to think of maybe not the one thing that uh, kind of helped ground you here, I mean, I, I know the land you speak, you speak of the connection to the land. Um, and I, I suppose that, you know, that could be your number one thing. Is there something that, uh, an event or something you can think of that really was a key time that pivoted you to saying, okay, this is where I'm going to stay when things were rough or when timing wasn't great for certain things. Like, was there something that, that kind of really was behind you and helped you be focused on staying here? I wouldn't say that would be one event, but it would repeatedly be the events uh, when you, especially when you come home from foreign travel. I had to, in the last couple of years, I had to travel a lot uh, before COVID. Um, yeah. And uh, it, at some points it was every month I would be in Europe and I would come home, I would come back 
on the ferry, I would frequently fly into Halifax and then take the ferry home because I lived just across. Um, and um, just that, that you, you, you get in your car, you pull up in pick two, you ride onto the ferry, you, you, you go out on the deck, and you just see that familiar view every time that you approach the island, no matter what the weather is like. Um, of course, it's even more spectacular when it's beautiful weather and you, the sunshine, and you can see your farm on the on the horizon. Um, those those moments are that's that's when you know that this is your home. This is not just a place that you live in. And uh, I think that yeah. th- that would be one of those moments. And the other moments is, of course, um, you know, the human interactions when when people help you when you need them, uh, the human connections you make, um, our song at the at the Queen Street Commons, yeah. <laughs> very important <laughs> moments. Um, yeah. The uh, the time, and I still do uh, the, the 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 soccer team that Pat Martel created. Uh, uh, the, 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 this sort of mishmash of people. Happen to play soccer together, but mostly enjoy each other's company. And uh, I learned great. I, I made great friends there. You know, like Marcus uh, Luderman, who also helped me with the cidery later on. So it, it, it's this interweaving, interweaving of relationships that is. Yeah. These are all these little moments that help, that make a difference. Awesome. Yeah, it does. Hundred percent. Well, before we go, Sebastian, I sometimes like to ask people this last question, and that is, if you were to say thank you to somebody in your life at this moment in time, who would that be? Well, I have a partner called Jennifer. and um, Yes, you do. And I have to thank her for putting up with me. Um it's it you know I'm not an easy person to 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 live with uh especially when there's so many things going on and um she has given me a lot of energy of good advice of a um, lot of patience and a great home uh, like I had a house but I didn't have a home until I met Jennifer so that is that is a very oh, yeah that I have nice. to I have to give thanks Sweet. to Oh, well, that's just lovely. Sebastian, what a wonderful way to end this conversation. I, I knew that you would, would want to share all these details of your story and how it how it was that you decided to put your roots down here and just how better PEI is for it, to be quite honest. Well, You're a was- great addition. Well, thank you. I, I am. I, it was, it was fun talking to you in, in this capacity. I know it's unusual <laughs> because uh, normally it's at a, at another silly level, but um, I really did want to touch with you on all of this and um, also just allow for the opportunity for everybody else to hear your story. Cause I'm not sure, even though you have a lot of friends here, like it's just nice to be able to hear your story from, you know, from its beginnings. And uh, even I learned something new and I thought I knew everything. But There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, listen, you have yourself uh, a great uh, time coming up. Stay safe. We you too. We all hope that COVID ends soon and things can go back to normal. 
Hopefully, what, hopefully. Whatever that whatever that is. Whatever that may be. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you to Sebastian for sharing his story of how he found his beloved home and and his connection to the land. And thank you all for listening. A special shout out to patron Peter Rocavina, who supports this podcast at Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, visit my Patreon page at patreon.com slash the belong podcast. Bye for now.